Let's turn our Bibles to James, James chapter 3, we'll read verse 13 to verse 18, but our center of focus will be verse 17 and verse 18. James chapter 3, the Bible reads, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly and spiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vow practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we count it a great privilege and joy to be in your house this day. We are conscious that we are approaching a holy God. And Lord, we pray that that consciousness may translate into our hearts standing in awe before you and also offering acceptable worship for we offer it in Christ but also conscious of our own frailties. That even in the midst of a, a holy time, a holy hour like this, our minds can easily wander away. We ask that you arrest our minds and cause that we concentrate and hear you speak to us and be able to testify that the Lord did speak. And so we ask that may your word be preached authoritatively instructingly, and by the aid of the Holy Spirit. Bless our time, O God, together this evening, for Jesus' sake. Amen. We are back in our study of the book of James, and our study through the book of James, we've sought to highlight, or at least have underscored that true faith shows itself in practical godly living. And the book of James is a practical book. It gives us wisdom and it also points us that this wisdom is wisdom that is found in no other but the Lord Jesus Christ. And last Lord's Day we began looking at verse 13 through to verse 18 and what we saw in those, in those verses was the fact that the words that come out of our mouth or what we say or our speech shows what kind of wisdom is controlling it. Whether it's wisdom from above or wisdom that is earthly. And we saw that where there is disorder, there is bitterness, selfish ambition, that wisdom is unspiritual and demonic and it's earthly. It's false wisdom. It's not true wisdom. But also highlighted the fact that wisdom that comes from above or true wisdom is wisdom where there is no jealousy, there is no selfish ambition, but wisdom that is characteristic of God's salvation and wisdom that can be seen by the fruit that it produces. And the, the appeal was any person who claims to be wise will 
show by the conduct of their lifestyle. And that's really what James was saying. This afternoon we continue and we'll dive into deeper in verse 17 and 18 and really see true wisdom described or at least James goes on to help us to see what the wisdom from above looks like or can be identified. And as James described this true wisdom, he begins by highlighting the motivation of true wisdom. Then he shows the characteristics of this wisdom and then the result of true wisdom. And this wisdom, as James says, it's from above. It's godly. It's heavenly. It's the wisdom that comes from us having a relationship with God and then God himself operating in our lives and therefore producing this kind of wisdom. And the first thing I'd like to draw your attention to is the motivation of true wisdom. The motivation of true wisdom. And that's the first part of verse 17 where James begins by giving a contrast and he says, but the wisdom from above is first pure. The wisdom from above is first pure. But is, is a word of contrast. Remember he's been talking about earthly wisdom. He's talking about false wisdom. And then when he gets to verse 17, he changes gears. And he says, in contrast, wisdom from above is first pure. And James underscores the importance of, of purity when he writes, wisdom from above first is pure. First is pure. But the wisdom from above is first pure. Now the heavenly wisdom is first of all a pure wisdom or it's pure in its essence and is making, uh, is making the prominent the core quality of this wisdom when he says it is first pure. And James is basically saying that without purity this wisdom cannot be from above. The wisdom that is from above, true wisdom, its motivation, its purity, and this purity has to do with everything that God stands for. The Greek word that is used there, the hagnos, pure, carries the idea of being free of contamination or any defilement. It, it, it means to be unmixed, undiluted, or untainted by anything that is impure. And it was used by, by the Greeks of a cleansing ceremony whereby a worshiper was made pure and worthy enough to stand before the gods. And the Greek word that is used for pure there has the same root word where we get the, the, the word for holy. The root word is the same. And so what James is really saying is that wisdom that is from above is holy. We will not be far from, far from the truth. To, to, when we look at the, the root words that are used in Greek for pure and for holy. And what James is basically saying is that wisdom that is coming from above, that is coming from God, is holy wisdom. It's pure wisdom. It's wisdom that has no defilement. 
And, and this makes sense because James saying this wisdom comes from above. And if this wisdom is coming from God, then what we expect is the fact that this wisdom will not be contaminated by anything that is impure. And the point that James is highlighting is really pointing to moral purity. He's pointing to moral purity and in the context here, it's main, it mainly has the sense of being free from jealousy, selfish ambition, or bitter envy. In other words, James is focusing on the motives. The motive behind seeking wisdom or the motive behind the wisdom that one possesses or claims to possess. And so James is saying, if you want to know whether the wisdom you have or the wisdom you claim to possess, firstly ask yourself, what is my motivation? What is my motive? Is it that everything I want to do has to be for the honor and glory of God and for the good of those around? Or is it that I'm seeking wisdom for bitter jealousy and selfish ambition? And what James is saying to us is that if you seek wisdom so that you can load it over those under you or use it for personal gain, advantage of power, then it is not pure, godly wisdom. Because your motivation for seeking wisdom or for using wisdom is not about God, but it's about you gaining advantage. It's about you loading it over those below you. It's about you wanting to advance your own selfish ambition. James is saying, our motivation for seeking wisdom or for using wisdom must always be to glorify God, to build up his people and to be able to save others. And this is especially needed, or at least we must keep this in mind, especially when we get into doctrinal disputes with anyone. Remember the context has to do with the use of the tongue. It is easy to want to win arguments and forgetting that the manner in which you go about winning that argument, you can destroy another person or your opponent. It is easy to want to win the argument, but you, you can destroy the person, the one you're arguing with, or you, you want to prove that you are right so that you, you may look good to those around, and you excuse your pride by simply patting yourself on the back that you are contending for the faith. And before we get into doctrinal disputes, ask yourself the question, how important is this in light of God's glory? And also, the manner in which I go about, is it helping the spiritual welfare of another person? And you, you must keep that in mind. 
But also you, you, you need to, to remember that's just how difficult it is for yourself, first of all, to change your mind over a doctrinal issue. And give the same benefit of the doubt to the other person. Because they may sincerely be convinced on an issue just like you. If you yourself do not easily change your mind over a doctrinal issue, over an issue, extend the same thought to the other person, exercise wisdom, and be able to move with one another step by step, discussing the issue, because your goal at the end of it is not to simply win an argument, but to glorify God, even as you study His Word. And the reason is that your motives are pure. It's not simply about wanting to show that you know the Bible, wanting to show that you understand things better, but rather that you want to walk with a brother, a sister, show them what the Scripture says, so that as they see what the Scriptures say, their response will not be about how great you are or how knowledgeable you are, but that how grateful they will be to God and in return seek to honor this great God. And this virtue stands first, not so much in the matter of time, but in in the order of importance. James is showing us that if everything that characterizes our, our wisdom does not stem from purity or a pure heart or a pure motive, then everything else will be contaminated. But if you begin with a pure motive in Applying wisdom in any given situation, everything else that stems from there is simply a build-up on the quality of wisdom that is endured in your life. And so James says there, but the wisdom from above is first pure. It is first pure. And then he goes into details about the other characteristics. And so the question we, we must really be asking ourselves is, do I possess true wisdom? And is my wisdom from above can it be seen by my conduct, by the way I live, the way I carry myself? And is it first and foremost pure? And is my motivation the glory and honor of God? Well, the second thing we see is the characteristics of true wisdom. The characteristics of true wisdom Verse 17 bit, James now goes into details. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And he ends there. And we see as he begins, he, the connecting adverb then, when he says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, is that when you, when you look at it in the original, you actually see the basis for why I'm taking pure to be a motive for true wisdom rather than it being a characteristic. Because that adverb shows that there is a connection between the pure and then what begins. And that's why James says, 
Wisdom from above, first it's pure, then he says, then it's these things. That adverb, then, is very important because it basically shows us that the characteristics that are being highlighted are linked from this word pure. And because this word pure clearly spells out what our motives ought to be when we seek wisdom, then he goes on to show that then this will be true if your wisdom stands from a pure motive. And that's what wisdom from above is all about. And so he goes on to show that true wisdom is peaceable. It's peaceable. And James names the first of the external qualities that stem from the inner purity of wisdom. And what follows are things that can be seen from outward conduct. But when you talk of purity, it has to do with your motives, your mind, your heart. It has to do with the inner you. And now everything else is coming from what is installed inside of you and therefore coming out of you and being able to be seen by others. And he says it is peaceable. In other words, James is saying, if you compromise purity for the sake of peace, you are not acting in godly wisdom. But also on the other hand, he's saying, if you hold to purity in a contentious manner, you are not displaying true wisdom. Because true wisdom is peaceable. And John MacArthur writes, and I quote, the truly wise don't perpetrate conflict by their selfishness, but produce peace by their, in, by their humility. The truly wise do not perpetrate conflict by their selfishness, but produce peace by their humility. And we are basically being told there that if our inner self is pure, we will pursue peace. We will seek after peace, not at the expense of purity, not at the expense of not even pursuing peace in a contentious, cantankerous manner. No. But rather that will be a people that will seek to be peaceable. And the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 3 echoes these very words. He encourages believers to be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And the scriptures exhort God's people to seek peace, to pursue peace, and to do it with diligence. And if you are one who is always steering controversy over petty issues or not acting in godly wisdom, then you may not be one who possesses true wisdom. But also we must be quick to say that while we should never compromise doctrinal purity on essential truths, neither should we fight over minor matters where godly, Bible-believing people would differ or have differed. So yes, we must never compromise doctrinal purity. But on minor issues, we must not fight. Even where we know 
Godly scholars have a different opinions. And so true wisdom will not compromise with sin to maintain peace. It will be firm, but also fair. It's peaceable. But also towards true wisdom is gentle. It's gentle. Now, the, the, the word that is used, the Greek word used there for gentle, is, is, is different from the word that is used for meekness in verse 13. And as I said the last time, is that one of the difficulties when you look at the Greek usage of the word meekness or gentleness is that it's very difficult to find the English equivalent. William Buckley, who was very good at uh, Greek, also stated in one of his, his, com his commentaries that among the New Greek New Testament words, meekness or gentleness is, is the, most untran uh, 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 the most untranscribable word uh, from Greek into English. Because you really struggle to find a satisfactory English equivalent. But, but the word gentle, the word used for gentle, they encourage the idea of being considerate, being moderate, being fair, being forbearing. And it conveys the, the thought of respect for the feelings of others, being willing to surrender all your attention and strictness in one's dealing with others. And so when James is talking about being gentle, he's best of all saying that as you deal with others, you have respect of how they feel. But also you, you want to surrender all your attention or all your strictness when you are dealing with others. Be gentle. Be considerate. Be moderate when you are dealing with others. And, and the person who possesses this quality knows how to, to, to bear with, with one another or to bear with others even when you have the right to condemn or you have the right to be strict towards the other person. And this is what we see in the scriptures. It was something that, that was true of the Lord Jesus Christ. His gentle and lowly. But also gentleness is a requirement for the qualification of leadership in the local church. When we read First Timothy 3 and verse 3. And really what we see there is that when we are dealing with one another, we must be, first of all, considerate for their feelings, but also be mindful that you could be at different levels of your Christian walk. And therefore you might be in the third heavens, and they might be in the first level as it were. So as you are considerate and gentle, and you want to understand them, you begin to realize where they are and begin to understand why they are reasoning like that. But also see that true wisdom is not just gentle, but it's also reasonable. It's reasonable. The Bible says it's open to reason. And the words literally mean easily convinced. Now what? But it does not mean, or neither is James saying that you must be gullible or naive. 
but rather that you are you must be willing to submit to others as long as the core doctrine or moral principle is not at stake. You are easily convinced, but you are not naive. You are not gullible. You are willing to listen as long as the fundamentals, the core, the clear doctrinal teachings of the scriptures or moral principles are not at stake. If it's an issue of personal opinion, personal preferences, you listen. But if it has to do with the fundamental teachings of the scriptures and one is breaking them, then you must refuse to be convinced. In other words, true wisdom is quick to listen and knows when to heal for the sake of peace, but also when to say no. True wisdom is able to discern the difference and is, is willing to yield on minor matters and insist on major core of the Christian faith. And the man who is reasonable is one who accommodates and listen to other views, and if he is shown that is wrong, he is willing to change, because the scriptures are very clear on these matters. So it's not just an issue of insisting that this is what I believe, this is what I'll do. But if one is able to walk with you through the scriptures and is reasoning with you and sharing with you, you must be open to reason. That's what true wisdom is all about. And James goes on to show us that true wisdom is full of mercy and good fruits. It's full of mercy and good fruits. And there we see the only double characteristic in the list. And this stands in direct contrast to what he said in verse 16. In verse 16 he said, For where, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder. And then he says, And every vow practice and now he, he he sort of gives a direct contrast here here he's saying that it is full of mercy and good fruits and already our brother francis mentioned what grace is and what mercy is is and you could actually see that james was learning and drawing these lessons from his, his older brother, his Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord, these, these words echo the Beatitudes. Blessed are the merciful, for they will obtain mercy. And the Lord Jesus Christ did underscore the importance of mercy. And he did say, be merciful just as your Father in heaven is merciful. And James highlights the same thing. Mercy is more than pity. It is an attitude of compassion towards those in distress that leads to practical help. So you just don't feel pity. You are actually moved to do something about the situation. And being merciful means not only having compassion for the person who's suffering, but also you show compassion for the person suffering, even if they are suffering as a result of their own sinfulness. You are moved to act, even though you know that this is on account of their own deeds, their own doings. But you are moved by compassion and you do something about the situation. And we see this from God himself. The Bible tells us that but while we are yet sinners, 
Christ died for us. Our own sins was as a result of our own disobedience. God would have simply led us to ourselves. But the Bible in Romans chapter 5 verse 8, we are told, while we were yet sinners, while we were still rebels, while we wanted to have nothing to do with God, while everything within us wanted to get rid of this God, God sent his beloved son. God was moved and he did something about the situation. And we are told we are to extend the mercy that we've received from God to other undeserving sinners. By adding good fruits, full of mercy and good fruits, James is pointing to what he had said in chapter 2 and verse 14 through to verse 17 about good works. And it's basically showing that our faith must show itself in practical good deeds. If you see someone in need and do nothing to help, James will say, but what good would that be? In other words, true godly wisdom is not theoretical, it's practical. It folds its sleeves and get into action. Do something. Get to work. And therefore showing that these good works as a result of your faith in God, the God who is merciful, and through you, He's extending His mercy to others. And you see, He says, it is impartial and Sincere. It is impartial and sincere. Basically, showing the aspect of it being impartial. It basically says, it's saying true wisdom is unwavering. It's unwavering, it's undivided. When it comes to royalty to God, it's undivided. When it comes to service to God, it's undivided. And James will talk about this in John, rather in chapter 4, verse 4, where he says, friendship with the world is enmity with God. And he's basically saying, when it comes to service, true wisdom is not divided. It's very clear. It's, it has Royalty and to God and God alone. He does not play politics with service. To God, he does not play politics with truth. It is the way it is, undivided. It holds steadfastly to the truth of God. And then we are told true wisdom is without hypocrisy. It is sincere. It is sincere. There is no hypocrisy. There is no cover-up. There is no pretense. It doesn't need to, to, to work under a mask. What you see is what you get. And the word sincere there was used by the Greeks of, to describe a person who will participate in a play and take up a role that was not reflective of what they were in true life. So they'll be acting as a bad person and yet that's not really what they are in true life. So that stage play or that acting was a cover-up or was not sincere because that's not who the person is. And James is saying that that is not what true faith is about. True faith is without hypocrisy. There is no cover-up. There is no veil. 
There are no shadows. There's nothing hidden. What you see is what you get. It's not acting. It's not pretency. It is the truth. It is sincere because it stems from a pure motive for the glory of God. And therefore, it is sincere. It's not a cover-up. Speaks the truth in love. Acts in love. And it has no hypocrisy. And all these characterize the people who are born from above. Brethren, the person characterized by true wisdom from heaven will be stable, trustworthy, transparent, the kind of person who consistently displays the virtue of wisdom and on whom others can rely on for advice and counsel. And if you, if you would seek to live by these qualities of true wisdom, you will pursue peace, reduce on personal conflict, focus on the major issues, things that have to do with the honor of God and which are clearly labeled in the scriptures. But as we battle the flesh, the world, and the devil, we often forget these qualities of wisdom and begin it to be contentious in the way we approach one another and we forget that we are one family. We serve one God. And all of us belong to one family. And our goal is to glorify God in this world. But our pride, our sinfulness, causes us to begin to see each other as enemies to conquer. And we fail to live in harmony in our relationship. And that failure begins to highlight that the wisdom in us may not be from above, but from below. And if we are to cultivate this wisdom, we must Believe in God, trust in His Word, and live in His Word. And areas where we, we realize we are lacking, we must pray that He grows us, that will be a people that will be gentle, peaceable, a people that are sincere in all that we do. And let's quickly look at the results of true wisdom. The results of true wisdom, verse 18. And the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. James insists that true faith shows itself in, in works, and he sums it up in verse 18, showing us that there are results that we get if we cultivate true wisdom. There is an unavoidable fundamental relationship between true wisdom and genuine righteousness and peace. Wisdom from above produces a continuous progression of righteousness. And this righteousness 
as we are told, is planted and invested in a peaceful relationship between God and his faithful people. And that's what we see. And the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And, 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 and James is very careful. He's saying, you cultivate what you sow. And if you are not sowing these qualities, don't expect a harvest of righteousness. And the picture that James is giving is this, that if a farmer plants maize, he expects to harvest maize. A farmer will not go to a maize field and expect to harvest beans or mangoes. He planted maize. And if you sow selfishness, you will reap conflict. But also James is, what this verse implies is the fact that the harvest of of righteousness is, is righteousness is not accidental but expected, then we cannot simply sit hoping that we'll harvest righteousness in peace without pursuing these qualities that James mentions. A farmer who sits around throughout the, the planting season we will not expect to go into his field and harvest. He must work. He must labor. He must diligently tilt the land. Then he can expect a harvest. And a harvest of righteousness demands a certain kind of climate. The harvest of peace and righteousness cannot be produced in the climate of bitterness, selfish ambition. Righteousness will grow only in a climate of peace that is pursuing all these qualities from a pure motive for the glory of God. John Calvin writes, and I quote, Those who exercise the wisdom that is from above, while they meekly tolerate many things in their neighbors, do not cease to sow righteousness, but strive to correct the faults of others by peaceful means. They moderate their zeal with the flavor of peace. For those who wish to be physicians to heal vices ought not to be executioners. And brethren, if we are a body of believers or, or a body of God's people, who are not cultivating these qualities, we must not expect a harvest of righteousness. If we are not pursuing peace, we must not expect peace in our congregation. If you see a church or a home where there is peace, it is because the members of that church or that home have worked to cultivate peace. They have listened to one another. They respect one another. They judge one another. They debate. They talk. They discuss. And they conclude to live at peace, having listened 
and debated and discussed whatever it is that was coming in between them. Those who are peace, peaceful and are promoting peaceful relationships, they will enjoy that peace themselves. And James is saying, yeah, if this is true, that we must expect a harvest. A harvest of righteousness because it is sown in peace. And James wants us to, to apply godly wisdom to our personal relationships. The Bible guides us on how to live harmonious lives Code your lives. But because of selfishness, pride, jealousy, many, many Christians have used the Bible to attack others and to justify themselves. Only when we, when you found Christ, to be your all in all. The true wisdom of God. And if you care for his glory. And are growing in Christ's likeness. You will be one who will pursue peace. But without compromising in any doctrinal teachings of the Bible. And this is why we need Christ for salvation. We need Christ for sanctification. We need him every day of our lives. We must become more and more like him. Being gentle, being peaceful, peaceable people, and serving him from pure motives. And I end by returning your attention to verse 13 of chapter 3. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. And if you want to see who among you or among us is wise, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Amen.